Welcome to episode 44 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today we are celebrating Pride Month with an in-depth discussion on the cultural impacts of Khorasami and the queer themes present in the Avatar universe. Now, before we start, we do want to warn you this podcast will be mentioning spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and The Rise of Kyoshi. As always, you are free from spoilers regarding the Shadow of Kyoshi. However, for this particular episode, there will be some light spoilers about the Legend of Korra comics, particularly Turf Wars. So, Andre, how are we doing this week? We're about almost two weeks into Pride Month, and I feel like I have not done enough oh, to, God, no. to, sh- to show the gay to everybody. No, I- I'm doing great, uh, apart from like really some really muggy-ass weather. Mm. um it's been going good i do want to vent like just a tiny bit real quick go for it um me and the boyfriend are looking into some apartments to move in together soon and um not only are these prices fucking outrageous um the requirements of moving into an apartment is a a world that i am completely new to even though i rented apartments in west virginia it's a whole other world in virginia particularly the thing of like both of our incomes need to be at least three times the rent, uh, which we do not make in any situation, even though we make enough to cover rent. But every place is like, you need to make at least three times rent in order to be approved. And now I'm understanding why people are having such a hard time finding places to live. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I'll keep y'all updated on that. Yeah, good luck on that. Holy shit. Yeah, it's fun looking at places, but the process of, of trying to actually move in on a place is extremely stressful. But yeah. otherwise, doing doing very good. How are you doing, Kayla? I'm doing good. I mean, I'm catching up on some of the gay that I haven't been able to experience in the last two weeks because um, I was at my dad's house this past weekend during Pittsburgh Pride. I was visiting my grandparents, so, you know, I couldn't miss out on that. I haven't seen them in a few years. But Morgantown is actually doing a Pride-themed arts walk this weekend and also themed after West Virginia Day and something to do with knitting. And so they just smushed all of the things into this one art walk. Um, so Morgantown Pride will be tabling there and I'll be helping out. And uh, also I'll be going to the drag show that there's going to be. There's going to be a daytime drag show happening, Ooh. Uh, which is going to be really exciting to watch. And uh, yeah, I've been helping to make sure that goes smoothly as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. That's awesome. That's, that's my, awesome. That's my gay. That's my gay stuff this uh, this week. But actually, at the end of the month, there'll be more gay stuff to do because I work with Morgantown Pride. I'll be representing them in Parkersburg for mm-hmm. um, an event they're doing out there for Pride, and Morgantown Pride's also doing like a picnic and stuff. So I'll have plenty of gay things to do in the next couple of weeks. That's <laughs> so. awesome. I mean, I have to make a confession. I have not attended any sort of Pride event ever, and I'm mm. looking to change that this month. Yes, please there are, do. Yeah, there are a lot of like little events going on where I live, and I want to go to it this Sunday. Um, uh, in one of uh the parks in Virginia Beach, there's gonna be like it's like a dance party. It's like there's a DJ there. They got food trucks. They got vendors. They got games. Oh, that's awesome! And it's just it, they call it Pride in the Vibe because the vibe is the park. Um, that's awesome! Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, so I'm I'm planning on going to that. And I'm excited because I've I've just never been to any sort of Pride event before. And I feel especially like coming out of COVID and like realizing like maybe I shouldn't take these things for 
for granted like I used to before. Because before I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go to a Pride event at some point. At some point. I gotta say that was someone who's been to like, I mean, I've only been to one um, in-person Pride, one in-person. Uh, no, I've been to more in-person. I've been to like, at least three in-person Pride events. Mm-hmm. Um, and two of them were in like smaller areas and one of them is in, was in Pittsburgh, which is obviously a much, much bigger area. And personally, I prefer the smaller ones. Yeah. Like it's just more, it's just like more intimate. It's just more like laid back i guess you can say too um like the energy is there yeah that's why i never went i've heard pittsburgh pride has changed though since the original delta foundation kind of collapsed in on itself plenty Mm. of accusations against that group but apparently the new organization that's kind of taken the reins from them and put together a new more inclusive pride apparently went really well last weekend so i'll be looking for more stuff from that group soon but i mean honestly going to like a town going to a pride in like your area like the smaller scale ones Highly recommend that for for anyone who's listening and curious about Pride events and probably has never been to one. The local ones, I don't know. You just you really get to do get to connect with your neighbors, and you know it's it's just wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, my Facebook feed is is just like littered with all these different Pride events. I was just like, I I should just go to one and and just have fun this month. Seriously, Um, you deserve it. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into news, we have to say a hello and a welcome to any new listeners who might be joining this week and have found us through our interview with the creative team of The Legend of Genji last week, which was a lovely interview. It was so wonderful yes. to talk to them. They were the sweetest people. Absolutely. And um, and they just made me so excited for, for the thing to come out. So if yes. you guys haven't checked out that interview, definitely go back and listen to it. Um, but if you are new, uh, as of this recording, we have officially covered the first two seasons of the Avatar The Last Airbender and the entire Rise of Kiyoshi novel. So if you'd like to get a scoop in all of the inside jokes and references that have built up over the past 40 episodes or so, definitely check those out. We've also sprinkled in some topic episodes here and there, which include episode four, The Controversy of the Legend of Korra, which is our top most played episode to date. Uh, I wonder why. Episode nine, The Villains of Avatar The Last Airbender, and episode 34, my personal favorite, Star Wars and Avatar. And there's also oh, a couple yes. more in there just to get, just get in. All of yeah. it. So definitely go and check that out. Welcome, new listeners. I hope you enjoy your stay. Exactly. We're 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 here. We're queer. Our anxiety is mild to severe. It's fine. Depends <laughs> on the day. Some news: uh, McFarland Toys have revealed their first Avatar: The Last Airbender toy line this past week, and the lineup includes action figures for Aang, Katara, Sokka, Zuko, and Appa. And they said that pre-order will be announced soon on their website. I don't know if you got a chance to look at these action figures, Kayla. Hmm. I have not. I sent I it to you on on uh, Instagram DMs, but um. Oh, okay. I want you to tell me if if uh, uh Aang looks um interesting to you. Oh boy, I'm looking at the site now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Everyone else looks fine, but Aang yeah. looks like you ever seen Wallace and Gromit? That's literally what I was about to say. <laughs> literally, it's it's <laughs> Wallace. It's yes, <laughs> like young Wallace. It's so weird. They like got rid of his like um like tunic and just like gave him like it it looked really weird and his his face just looked really weird. His facial expression just Oh my god, why did I zoom in on that? <laughs> Don't zoom on it. I Don't did. It. <laughs> I have been cursed with the knowledge of what that looks like now. It's a Thank little you. cursed. It's a little cursed, yeah. And the <laughs> Oppa one cursed. the Oppa action figure looks like um it looks, like, it looks like the Appa in Ember Island players. Huh. It like the proportions I... of everything just look really weird. I don't know. I'm not a huge action figure person. Um, I'm yeah. more, you know, we're we're both more, I guess, like the more 
Funko Pop dolls. Yeah, um, I'm more of a Funko Pop gal myself. But if you're into that for like collectibles and stuff, I mean, I would definitely every everyone else looks good. The Ang one just gave me the heebie-jeebies a little bit. It just looks <laughs> just looks a little weird. Tiny bit, um, tiny bit. But yeah, again, pre-order will be announced on their website. Um, sorry, McFarland Toys. I mean, if you sponsored us, maybe we'd be a little nicer. We'd be but... nicer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to get the sponsors. Be like, hey. Yes, we'll be really nice to you if you pay us money. <laughs> and if you don't, we're just going to shit on your product. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think it's a good deal to me, honestly. Yeah, that that's those terms and conditions sound very agreeable to me. Give us money, we'll be nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> we have a quick Patreon shout out to give, and this is for our newest Patreon supporter, Dre, who was also a part of our Legend of Genji panel last week. Oh yay! Hi, Dre. And they have become our newest member of the Metal Better tier. So we now have every, uh, we now have at least. One supporter representing every tier. We have our Era Acolyte, we have our Metal Bender, and we have our Ember Islander. Yay, welcome Dre. Patreon's fun. At least we try to make it fun. <laughs> so if you guys would like to receive a shout out just like Dre and much more, sign up for the official Avatar Hour Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour Podcast. Woo. Cool. All right. So let's get into the main discussion, and we're going to yes. start backwards essentially basically well we're just gonna start with uh let's set the scene it's december 19th 2014 and the legend of korra's last episode has aired on nickelodeon in that final scene korra and asami walk into the newly made republic city spirit portal to go on their gal pal vacation and they they're holding hands and that's when everyone started to lose their minds before they get transported into the spirit world they turn and face each other and then the camera pans up and the credits roll after the episode aired, Bright confirmed that Kora and Asami had become a couple at the end of the series. Right. Uh, Brian Kanitska wrote, Kora Asami is canon. You can celebrate it, embrace it, accept it, get over it, or whatever you feel the need to do, but there is no denying it. That is the official story. We received some wonderful press in the wake of the series finale at the end of last week, and just about every piece I read about it got it right. Kora and Asami fell in love. Are they friends? Yes, and they still are. But they also grew to have romantic feelings for each other. I This is funny, too, because I remember reading this statement when it first came out. Um, but we're actually going to link this statement in our description. It's much longer. Oh, yeah. But it's if you haven't read it, I would definitely go and read it. Because uh, it's got some wonderful, wonderful things that uh, Brian Kanitska wrote. Yeah, it's, it's going to be quoted a few times in this episode, not going to lie. But it's an important statement, I got to say. So how was like how was your reaction was happening? Because you were watching this as you know it was airing and all that a little bit. Yeah, I mean I was trying to when I because that was a little chaotic, realized that the entire season was online. Um, no, I, this is like maybe the only thing about my Avatar viewing experience that I'm ashamed about because I was 16 when this came out and still very much a secluded you know, white kid going to a predominantly white high school in a conservative area. So I had some beliefs that I am ashamed of. I was back then, I was that person being like, why are we forcing diversity? That sort of thing. I know, I know, I know. I cannot imagine it as much that as you though. Um, you can't imagine it? I cannot imagine you being that way. I always thought you, you always act, you thought you were always like David Rose from Shit's Creek. I thought that was just, you just came out of the womb that way. <laughs> I wish. Um, but listen, but at 16, I was I was very much still suppressing the gay. It's okay, same here when I was 16. So when I saw this happen, I didn't even clock it. I was just like, all right, they're friends. I was in denial. And then this statement came out. And then I, I remember being like, 
well, they're just pandering to like the Kurosami shippers and blah, 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 blah. I know, I know, I know. This is actually how I thought. I'm just being real with y'all. Yeah. Obviously, I don't feel that way now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was crazy to me because it was weird to be like kind of confronted with something that I was actively suppressing at the time, right? And to have it come in have it come into something as near and dear to my heart as Avatar, I think that made me extremely uncomfortable. And I didn't watch Korra for the longest time until I came out and like started to unwork those really close-minded and problematic beliefs about representation and that sort of thing. And I mean, I I don't think that would have happened if I didn't go to college because I met so many different people, so many different walks of life. And we had conversations about that stuff and they a lot of my friends were much well well attuned to that kind of thing and they were thankfully kind enough to explain why this was such a big deal and after a while i i understood it 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 took a while but it happened and now i'm the biggest proponent of representation and diversity and and especially in kids tv shows which we'll get to um, oh yeah, but yeah, that was essentially that was essentially my reaction, and it's so different from how I see it now. But that's that's the truth, unfortunately. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Like, you know, good for you for like unlearning those things and accepting yourself. Like, good for you, pal. That's awesome. Thanks. But yeah, meanwhile, mine. Um, I had not watched Korra until about three years after, two or three years after it had come out. So I was, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, and I. To put things simply, which I have said before on this podcast, I essentially watched Avatar because I wanted Korosami. Like, Korosami had been out there in the universe for a few years by that point. You know, people still posting the screen grabs of it. People still actually reblog the uh, on Tumblr the post that someone said, we're popping the biggest bottles and Makora happens tonight. Oh my like, God. <laughs> it's, a, it's an anniversary. We have cake. It's great. But like just seeing how much that meant to people and especially as someone who's trying to understand herself. Korosami really meant a lot to me even before I had watched you know, any of seasons three or four of Korra. So while I did want to watch Avatar because I had seen, you know, I'd seen clips of it as a kid and a lot of people like it and a lot of my friends liked it. So I did watch Avatar for that reason too. But I really wanted to make sure I had the full story before eventually getting to the gay stuff, you know? I sounds kind of superficial for me to say that, but it's very much the watered down answer. But that's the pinnacle of a lot of queer experiences is watching a show for that one tiny little bit of queer representation. Scraps. I have done that with so many shows. That is like the pinnacle of the queer experience for a lot of people when it comes to watching that. Absolutely. And like I probably said a hundred times, I saw and still see a lot of myself in Cora and her experience and just eventually seeing like her and Asami's relationship like grow and then see it, you know, become more like official official in the comics with especially with like yeah. turf wars and you know later ruins of the empire now or of the empire now i haven't read the comics yet i have not but i have seen screenshot after screenshot of Korosami gay stuff going on in those comics and i uh, believe me when i tell you i am so excited to read those comics when we get to that point yeah, yeah. um but like seriously i would be like scrounging the internet trying to find screenshots of like Korosami in those comics because of how important it was to me so that's why i was really excited to do this episode <laughs> just, yeah. just talk about i was like kayla i'm gonna let you take the reins on this one because i know you're you've been waiting to do this episode mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. 
I also, if you guys have not done this yet, I'm talking to the listeners here. If you guys have not done this yet, go on YouTube and look up Horasami reaction compilation. And it is just nothing but pure joy. It's people losing their absolute shit as early as like when the wedding starts. People are already picking up on it. It's crazy. And it's like people are crying. People are screaming. Like it's it's wild. It's, it's, I, it's, it's so beautiful. Fun. It's honestly yeah. beautiful watching those reactions. And like I mean, also just like even from the part where, where they're like, you know, this is this favorite shot and kiss at the screen at some parts, and then just at the part where you see them hold hand, it's just like take off your headphones during that part. It's like an RIP yeah. headphone user situation. Like <laughs> I, I was thinking about playing a snippet for the podcast, but I went to the compilation and I'm just being kind to y'all in your ears. RIP headphones. I would just users. go and watch it on YouTube, and it's better to watch it. Happen, yeah you know? exactly um, yeah r.i.p headphone users exactly but yeah it's so fun <laughs> and i remember i was watching that and i was like if i was like this age where i am now fully come out fully comfortable and i was like this back in 2014 how would i react to that and i think probably along the lines of that i probably wouldn't have maybe picked up on the sprinklings of Kurosami. so and i think most people did not which we will talk about later which I think is why the ending was very surprising for people um, because I think a lot of people had preemptively wrote off the possibility of it actually happening that when it was starting to be implemented to the show, it flew under a lot of people's radar. And also remember, this is 2014. This is before Steven Universe, before Adventure Time, before She-Ra, you know, a little less than a year before same-sex marriage was legalized in the United States. Like, this this was huge. Even as subtle yeah. as it was, this thing was huge. And we will talk more about that in a bit. Yeah. I also wanted to drop in real quick with the network's uh, reaction to Korosami. Um, So Brian can answer Kanitsko? Am I saying this right? Yes. Kinitsko. This happens every Great. time you have to every say this man's name. Every time that we have to say his name. <laughs> Brian Kanitsko. Brian Kanitsko said in his statement about the network's reaction that um, we had approached the network and while they were supportive, there was a limit of how far we could go with it. So what is his thoughts on this? I, I'm seeing this thing in two different ways here. I think I am also seeing it in two different ways. I mean, look. I don't love the argument of it was a different time because uh, to me that the argument is just it's it's just a bad excuse. Oh, yeah. Nickelodeon could very well have been much more explicit with Korosami if they actually wanted to. And they had already cut Korra's budget. So they were saving money on this show and also not putting it on any airtime on their actual network. So, I mean, the, the viewership for Korra, unfortunately, had was going, like, you know, down as the scenes progressed and the online move didn't help, you know. So there was very low risk of people completely shutting out Nickelodeon anyway. But Nickelodeon has been around for so long. It's one of those companies where if it did something like that, they would probably see a dip in the first quarter or something. But after that, it would have been like nothing, you know. Yeah, I think yeah. people were not confident that... And it, because it was also a kid's show, so that... That added an extra layer right there. It comes with its own baggage of the the stereotype of, like, how all, all gay people are, like, pedophiles, and you're going to corrupt the children, you're going to confuse them. Over-sexualization. Exactly, exactly. So, and I, I don't... I don't know precisely, like, what kind of conversation this was. I don't doubt that maybe Brian Kanetsu put supportive with asterisks next to it i feel like they had to fight for it a little bit 
Oh, absolutely. I feel like they had to fight for a little bit. And here's the thing. Even Steven Universe, though, had a hard time. I mean, I know Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon aren't the same thing, but like still, Rebecca Sugar really, really had to fight to get a same-sex wedding on a kid's show. And that came out like four years after Korosami had happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I, we'll talk more about that later. I know we have a lot of pins hanging on this right now. Yeah. But <laughs> we were, I remember being shook last year when uh nickelodeon posted like their like it's like their pride characters and they put cora front and center you know mm-hmm. so they, their their tune has changed dramatically oh yeah and i even saw um like nina west from drag race did yeah. something with nickelodeon where it was like a kid's song explaining how, what every color on the rainbow yeah. flag means and she also and I'm did like, a song on Blue, on nick jr with blues clues she had like yeah. a whole song about a pride parade and that's gone viral on tiktok and i did see that other song from nina west as well for nickelodeon they also casted, I think, their first openly trans actor, I think, on a, this one of their live-action spinoff shows from, I think, I think it's Danger Force is the name of it. I don't really keep up to date on Nick shows these days. Mm-hmm. But, like, that was really cool to hear about that, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, while it's easy for me to been like, they should have just gone for it, it was 2014. Mm-hmm. There were probably different people running Nickelodeon than there are now. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they were at least... At least they didn't shut it down completely. Is is cause for some credit, you know? Yeah, because it it moved they the could've. needle extensively. Like, and we're st- and you're still feeling the implications of that and the reverberations of that in the cartoon world, you know. So mm-hmm. I don't know. What did I cover your two minds about it? Or absolutely, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> okay, see, same brain cell here, guys. So I was, we were like crafting the dog like getting people's reaction and i wanted to see if jeanette varney and seychelle gabriel uh had any specific reaction to it and um this is a snippet from the jv club um a podcast that jeanette varney hosted back in 2015 and where she and seychelle gabriel voice actors for asami if you didn't know they briefly discuss uh korasami um and i think it's really interesting so go ahead and just take a listen real quick we were we were going to work one day and um and Brian's like, Hey guys, can we can we talk in the hall real quick? And we're like, Yeah, yeah, of course and we go out there and he's like, So uh the last scene we're totally we're totally gonna make Korosami work and Jay and I were like, Oh yeah, no, that sounds that sounds great. Like that's so unexpected and cool and, and he was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna you know, we're gonna talk to the heads about it and, and uh and see how it goes but that's the plan right now we just wanted to we wanted you guys to both know so you weren't you know you didn't read it or see you know and be were completely surprised or you know yeah. and um and both of us were just completely supportive completely actually excited and yeah like i was, I was so surprised excited. i was like that's, that's yeah awesome <laughs> yeah well because and and i know mike and brian have said it a bunch but um their focus wasn't really on relationships right at that point in the series you yeah. know the final book was not necessarily about that and i think that um the idea of like them realizing that this relationship was developing outside of whatever their plan was and that in this, and I am not putting, I'm not speaking for them at all when I say this, but from my perspective, sometimes what's so amazing about having your art out there is the interactions with other people and their interpretations and how that can somehow sometimes inform your perspective on it. And I'm not saying that's what happened at all, 
and I know there are a lot of people that are like, you know, I got emails that were like, why did they kowtow to the Khorasami fans? Like yeah. by popular demand, they were bullied into doing it or yeah, whatever. And yeah. I, that's a hundred percent not true. That's just not who they are. Yeah. You guys should know that by now because yeah. they, they just not don't, they don't, you know, create their work that way. But that maybe there is a sense of like, you know what? I think there's something happening here that we weren't even seeing ourselves because that's kind of the cool things about creativity is that something takes on a life of its own. It starts to feel like it's a real thing outside of your brain. It's writing itself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. A lot of writers use that term sometimes. I always think that's such a great, great term. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Thoughts, Kayla? I think it was just like, it's just cool to see how supportive they are of Kurosami. And that's definitely really interesting to hear like the behind the scenes of it, of like, you know, they found out in a hallway that yeah. the was happening. <laughs> it's not all the time that you get voice actors or just actors in general that are very, very not only involved, but dedicated to not only their own characters, but the characters in the story, the story in general, the writing process in general. Like Jeanette Varney said a, a really great thing about how sometimes the characters take you places that you didn't expect. And that's very much what Brian said in his statement is that were we planning Kurosami from the beginning? No, you know, there was that original plan of making Asami a double secret agent, but they ended up liking her so much that they, you know, rewrote around that and just moved. That's just how writing works, you know? But yeah, it's, it's great to know that not only did Bright let them know in advance, so they weren't just like, surprised when they were getting the script surprise it's gay <laughs> but that they were supportive of it and Jeanette Varney is as we should all know a, still a very vocal supporter of Kurosami both of them are I mean they straight up did a they straight up improvised a scene at a con where like you know Cora proposes to Asami like they improvised an entire scene at a fan's request to do it yeah like so and someone actually did it like a anim- animatic whatever it's pronounced mm-hmm. uh thing like you know of that's that little of that moment so i think that was super cool of them to do that um, uh, I, speaking of that that marriage proposal it's it's literally the next video and it's very short do you want me to play it yeah sorry did i jump ahead okay. <laughs> you were there for me when i didn't know who else to turn to and i realized uh when i realized that that i didn't want anyone else to turn to and i would like to be there for you and rely on you uh, in life and in love for the rest of my life. Please share that with me. Wow, Cora. I, I, I don't know what to say besides that you said everything that I've been feeling lately. And I mean, lately for a long time. <laughs> um, yes, of course. I, I would love that. Okay. Also, you have to promise to tell me when I'm being a jerk. <laughs> and you're never a jerk, so don't ask me. <laughs> I promise, Mark. Okay, I love you. I love you. That was awesome. I've never seen that before. You never seen it? Oh my god! No. Like, I, used to, I, I shit you not. I was obsessed with that video for the longest <laughs> time. That was that was my source of like of serotonin for a while. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. So moving on, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about um, the legend of Korra itself. Um, we're going to I want to start with how Korra and Asami started out with just their friendship. Um, and I uh, one of the things I love about Legend of Korra is, I mean, I didn't love like the love triangle bit. Not a lot of it people was, do. I was, that's that, wasn't, very... that wasn't even a full shape. That was a mess. <laughs> yeah. And that's I don't that's not a unique opinion. A lot of people don't like it. 
What I loved about it, though, is that a lot of times when a love triangle like that is portrayed in TV shows, when it kind of falls apart, and it's usually a man and two women, kind of how this happened here, Mako, Korra, and Asami, the two women are put against each other, essentially fighting over the man, you know? And not only did that not happen, but Mako was painted as the person that failed in that situation. And to me, I mean, not only does Le- The Legend of Korra pass the Bechdel test with flying colors, it's the fact that these like two male writers were sensitive enough to realize, hey, this is a trend that happens a lot. We should probably not do that. And it's so important to show that, especially in a kid's show, you know, that if the, the man is going to fuck up, he's going to fuck up and he's going to take the consequences. And not only did they not bicker over Mako, did they not fight over Mako? They continued a very close friendship after everything that, that happened with Mako. Mako included, you know, by the time they get to season four, they're all really great friends, you know, and that is great because it's true to life. That happens, you know, it's very rare where you get that situation, like the two women butting heads over this one guy, you know, not realizing that, hey, maybe we should go to the guy for lying to us and saying that he wasn't cheating, you know, it's like stuff like that. But it's very true to life that even when those things happen, people do still end up as friends, you know? So I just, I just really love that, as, that it was portrayed in that sort of way in the TV show. Yeah. Good for them. <laughs> any, any other thoughts about like their friendship? I mean, they, they don't get a whole lot of screen time specifically between season yeah. two and three. Well, it's actually, no season three, they did have some stuff. Yeah. Season three, they had, I mean, I think one of my favorite scenes with the Korra and Asami in it is the, I always refer to it as the Mad Max episode, but it's really not that Mad Maxy. But like when yeah. they have when they crash the the the, the the airship into the desert and they have to like rely on each other to like mm-hmm. escape the situation and help others to survive. Like they have some really great chemistry in that episode. And like there's a scene in the beginning when they're fighting and like you know just showing how their prowess with each other and just oh yeah yeah i love i love the beginning of season three where asami is teaching Korra how to drive <laughs> yes um oh my that God. to me is so it's it, it's such a great scene and mm-hmm. again going back to the mako thing like uh Korra being surprised like not surprised she wasn't surprised she was just like kind of laughing at the fact like oh no wonder mako was so uncomfortable about us, around cause... us yeah <laughs> and even asami was like you don't hate me and she was like no of course not you know like, oh, I just love it so much. Um, yeah, and that was actually one of the first. Like, some people pick up on the fir- on the um when she says like, I've never had a girl friend to talk mm-hmm. to. Which I know she there's a space between the two words and there's a difference, but still, people pick out of like you know as soon as they heard that, people like you could, you know you could feel everyone's ears perking up on that part. Like, huh, girlfriend? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I mean, speaking of that, let's talk about specifically the hints that we got uh, at Korosami in season four again a lot of these the first time it flies under your radar but the two of us having watched Korra so many times it stands out even more starkly every time oh, yeah. i rewatch queer, it queer coding least. it's queer coding that's like the, the, yeah. if you don't know what queer coding is just basically like hints throughout a piece of media uh, alluding to the fact that characters are queer that's essentially what coding queer coding is i would i would say that the stuff here one of one instance i would say is queer coded 
another instance, I think it's just a little bit more than queer coding. Oh, but that's, the first yeah, instance gonna we're going to talk about is um, season four, episode two, Korra alone. One of my favorite episodes of Legend of Korra. And we find out that Asami is the only person that Korra feels that she can talk to as she undergoes recovery from her battle with Zaheer. Um, and just here are some of the snippets of their conversation. Asami writes, Dear Korra, I miss you. It's not the same in Republic City without you. How are you feeling? Things are going well here. I just got a big contract to help redesign the city's infrastructure. So I'll be keeping pretty busy for a while. Korra writes back eventually, Dear Asami, I'm sorry I haven't writ- written to you sooner, but every time I've tried, I never knew what to say. The past two years have been the hardest of my life. Even though I can get around fine now, I still can't go into the Avatar state. Please don't tell Mako and Bolin I wrote to you and not them. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but it's easier to tell you about this stuff. I don't think they'd understand. So there's a lot of a lot of hinting at at some very strong feelings. But Just, the fact that Korra found this connection with Asami in something that she couldn't find with Mako and Bolin, um, I think is very interesting considering that you would think up until then that her, Mako, and Bolin would probably have a stronger maybe relationship or friendship to Korra than Asami would. But I think this is sort of a continuation of the end of season three where Asami is doing Korra's hair when she's in the wheelchair and tells her that she's always going to be there for her and will help her with whatever she needs, right? Even willing to go to the Southern Water Tribe with her. Yeah, yeah, she does She does at some point ask if, like she, if she like wants Right before Korra leaves, this is at the end of season three. She's, you know, I think, I mean, like technically takes place at the end of season three, but she's like, do you want some company? Like, I'd be happy to come with you. Yeah. Like, remember, this girl's got, you know, a whole company to run and, you know, plenty of shit to do. And she's willing to drop all of that and go be with Korra. Yeah, absolutely. So that that I would say is queer coded. I think this nexus is is a little more explicit than that. Oh, yeah. Um, no, in season four, episode seven, the reunion, um, we probably get the most explicit instance of their attraction to each other, apart from the finale, um, because there's some blushing and some light flirting when Korra and Asami reunite. Um, and I remember the first time when I, I caught the blushing thing and I was like, oh my God, it was right there. You know, it's a very, such a small moment, but well, that's what they do with like their straight characters when, you know, like exactly. They... So it's, it's, it's there. They set it up. It's there. What I, what I love about this though, that what happens after later in the episode, Asami at one point mentions that she's trying to reconnect with her father and Korra shows concern and warns her that he might just be manipulating her again. And Asami reacts very interestingly. She lashes out and says, you don't get to disappear for three years and then act like you know what's best for me. And in the scene, it very much comes out of nowhere. But that is a very loaded line because a lot of people do that when they feel like they've been maybe slightly wronged by someone they truly love, that they will lash out in that way. Especially like you don't get to disappear for three years. That's a very loaded statement because you know that Asami is not blaming Korra for Mm -hmm. disappearing, but emotionally she feels that way, you know? So it's, it's attacking, it's being able to show that connection and still not quite tell you outright that she's saying that because she has romantic feelings for her, if that makes sense. No, it does. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say that instance is, it bo- both the hair flirting and the lashing out. I think it's just like a one step above queer coding. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little oh, yeah. more stark than that. Um, that's just my opinion, though. No, I guess you. I, that makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, and from this is from also uh, again from Brian Konitzko's statement. Um, he says, "I staged a revision of the final scene where they turn towards each other, clasping both hands in a reverential manner, in a direct reference to Varric and Julie's nuptial pose from a few minutes prior, um, which is cool because I think initially the plan was just to have them uh, walk into the portal together, not holding hands or not looking at each other, and I think this that he had to you know." really fight for to get to get it as explicit as as possible um and he said we asked jeremy zuckerman uh the composer for legend of Korra, to make the music tender and romantic and he fulfilled the assignment with a sublime score and this is where i step in because in the very end of the show in Korra, you get a little moment from avatar you hear it in avatar it's actually our theme music that and there's a podcast where jeremy zuckerman is sort of explaining that he always um had that as sort of a love theme between ang and katara and that this is sort of the new reincarnation of love in this new series because it ends the same way you know and he also he also ended avatar the last airbender with that little musical idea Also, isn't the shot at the the final shot of Avatar very similar to the final shot of Korra because it's like the couple, and then it pans up. Yeah, and it pans up and it says the end. Yes, it's very, it's very, very similar. You like know? at that point, it's not even just being subtle. They're like, you know, class, but they're like banging pouts and pans against each other, being like, they're gay, they're gay, exactly. They're gay. Or rather, exactly. they're bi, they're bi, they're bi. They like each other. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, that I really love that. And they, they, these are two small instances that I didn't realize until uh, uh, Caleb put it in the doc. But the framing of Korra and Asami behind Tenzin and Pema at the wedding scene didn't clock that. It's like she's because like Asami's sitting right behind Pema, non-bender, mm-hmm. to and Korra sitting behind Tenzin, bender, bender. and they're married yeah. and all that stuff. It's it's there. It's there. It's there and is. you, I think you sent me. Um, I believe it was something from Tumblr. Oh, but Asama painted Tumblr. her car the same color as Korra's watercolor outfit. Huh? I said Asama. <laughs> Did I say Asama? That's that should be the 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 ship name, Asama. <laughs> no. Asami painting her car the same color as Korra's water tribe outfit. That is a very Ooh. subtle thing that I love. Yeah, because originally her car was red, Asami's color. Yeah, I wonder if if that was another attempt to push the gay a little I bit. Pepper, I don't know. pepper in some, some gay shit. Just pepper it in. Um, but yeah, as far as as far as it involves the Legend of Korra, what I also think is interesting is that I I don't think it's explored in the comics either, but there's never any sort of reckoning with, with Korra or Asami. Again, not having read the comic books, but I don't think this is a thing in the comic books. There's no reckoning with themselves about their sexuality. It's just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Like, they just like who they like, which I think is a very interesting way to go about it, especially for a children's show. You would think that some would jump at the opportunity to educate in that sort of sense, but this is just very much love between two people. 
and not really. But I also don't expect, I don't know if I would expect the Avatar universe to have the same labels as we would. Yeah. You know, so. I also got to say, there's like a joke about like, did Korra realize that she was, you know, that she was bisexual when she was younger? Or was it like she saw Sam and she's like, well, I'm not as straight as I thought I was. Um, Yeah. Just like a joke about that. And I'm like, I honestly just want to make a quick joke here and kind of comment about this. Um, most of the time I didn't understand when people had crashes on cartoon characters until I saw Asami in season one and did the hair flip. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I get it now. That <laughs> so. was me, Bowen. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, any, any fi- before we go to the ad read, do you have any final final thoughts on how the Legend of Korra sort of handled Korasami? No, nothing else to say. I think, I've, I think I've exhausted most of that, but I still got plenty more to say about it for after the ad read. <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll get into it. Uh, just take a quick break for this ad read, and we'll see you guys after that. We're back with more gay shit, and there I haven't quite seen too much of this on the internet, but considering that the show came out, you know, this scene, the end of you know, Korosami happened, you know, how many years ago now? Let's do math. Seven. <laughs> like seven years ago, which Almost is crazy. Seven, yeah. Almost seven years ago. Um, and sometimes people look back on things. I mean, it's already happened with Avatar, with like some of the people like pointing out things that are allegedly problematic that aren't really that big of a deal in some cases. You know what sure. I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like almost bracing myself for that kind of things to happen to Korra. Um, so here's here's the thing. Here's the, here's the word I want to talk about. Is Korasami queer baiting? Short answer, no. It's not. But long answer, here's the definition of queer baiting. When an author, director, any kind of content creator hints and gives, you know, twists and things like that to paint a character as possibly be possibly being queer, so that way they can lure in, you know, LGBTQ audiences, but never actually say that they're queer because that that way they don't lose their straight audience. Well, um, well, here's the thing, though. Like, specifically this definition, like, when an author-director gives hints and clever twists to paint a character as possibly being queer to satisfy queer audiences, but never outright says that they are so they can keep their heterosexual audience. On the face of it, if you don't know the story, I can see where people get to that. Yeah. However, I don't think, again, I believe Brian Kaniska when he said it's it, ju- it was just the logical thing of where the story was taking us. We realized that we wrote two characters who had a lot of chemistry and that developed into romantic feelings and that's where we took it. At first I was like, how do people get to that? But then I think thought about Lamore's like, I guess I could see where people will get it. But also this was 2014. This was the height of Tumblr discourse about literally fucking everything. Yeah. And, and it's coming back with TikTok. <laughs> oh my God. It's being recycled we, into TikTok. Can we talk about how really quickly how TikTok is rehashing Tumblr discourse? Like almost... Yes chronologically to a T and I for one I'm just waiting it. for the next Dashcon to happen honestly no there was this thing <laughs> on book talk where they were like let's all get together and talk about our favorite books and someone stitched it and was like does no one remember Dashcon this is exactly how Dashcon started and it's, I was just like it's like that thing it's like the it's like that meme from Archer it's like you want ants because that's how you get ants it's like you want Dashcon because yeah, yeah. that's how you get Dashcon <laughs> History is doomed to repeat itself. Just Google Dashcon. I'm not going to even bother talking about that because that's a whole other podcast. Uh, yeah. But I mean, since it's Pride Month and and we're here to talk about all things gay, 
I mean, let's talk about queer baiting outside the scope of Avatar. Yeah. And maybe talk about how may- maybe people got that occlusion from Korosami. Let's address the super hell in the room and talk about Supernatural. Because that was probably the most recent and fresh example of queer baiting. For those of you who don't know, Supernatural just ended in the last year after 15 seasons. How it managed to limp to its finish, I will never understand that. Um, but basically for seasons after season, there was, you know, well, first of all, they also fridged their gay care, like one of their gay characters, like one of their lesbian characters, just want to point that out. But they fridged every woman character, yeah. every woman character on that yeah. show. But, um, there's Castiel and Cass, Castiel, whatever his name is. I never watched the show. I watched season one, but that doesn't, I don't, I, I didn't see the, the disaster dumpster, dumpster fire kind of turn into yeah. Dean and Cass, Cap, you know, Destiel. It's, it was a big, big Tumblr thing as well. Um, they even made references to it in the show, um, but never actually made them canon and all of that stuff. Uh, long story short, led to their, like, one of their final episodes where Cass admits his love for Dean and then immediately gets sent to super hell. And I shit you not, that's exactly what happened, at least according to Tumblr. <laughs> I, you know what's crazy, though, is that I remember when this was happening because it also happened to be the same night as the election, so not only was I in the throes of complete stress, this thing happened and Twitter was on fire. Yeah. And from from the trending page, Tumblr it looked too. like it looks yeah, it looks like on the on the the front of it that oh my god, the Destiel people finally got what they've been waiting for. And then I watched the scene and I was like Oh God! Listen, I never watched Super. I watched the first two seasons of Supernatural, which is, I would say, most people's experience. They yeah. say I've seen the first couple of seasons. I stopped watching after, you know, three, four, usually, five. Usually, usually like four or five is when people stop watching it. But the things that the that my friends who watch Supernatural tell me, it does not feel like it belongs in this plane of existence. Like I wa- I remember TikTok was great because I people would start was starting to put like uh compilations of all these like destiel moments and they're so on the nose and so blatantly queer baiting that you almost kind of have to give them respect (laughs) you're like you really got away with this like it's it's insane and then there was all this this like stuff about how the script had dean you know also saying I love you and and reclaiming the love for them and how it got cut in the very last minute and how like the Spanish subtitle said that Dean yes, says I love you back <laughs> like this like the Sp- Spanish supernatural dom- Spanish gate like there is a whole thing and it was it dominated so we were in the throes of not only an election that was taking nine we're days a, a, American democracy being in the balance <laughs> like, not, yeah, not only was American democracy at stake we were also trying to figure out what the fuck was going and the season wasn't even over so it felt like people were talking about it for months it was like the second to last episode wasn't it no that wasn't the finale I think that was the penultimate episode I think it was like second it was like the second to yeah, last episode yeah so it? this is the super hell memes the super, the hell, super memes. hell memes especially I think they, they still sometimes show up every now and then. For example, when Call Me By Your Name came out, like, you know, the um, like Montero yeah. Call Me By Your Name came out, someone, like, someone, like, said, like, you know, had, like, a, had the stripper pole of, like, little Nas X going down. It's, like, Castiel on his way to Oh, Super my God, Hell. yes. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a lot. And, I mean, I, I guess we should have said spoilers for Supernatural, but spoilers for Supernatural. So many spoilers for Supernatural, but at this point, you've been living under a rock. Right, and there were like, also so many memes point. about 
how Dean eventually like died because he got impaled like on a nail that was very phallic looking. He, he got nailed. He got nailed. And I, I don't think there will ever be a show like Supernatural. I'm not saying that because it was ever good. I'm saying it because it pulled off the longest queer baiting con. Seriously. It will forever go down. Like 10 plus years. Forever go down as the biggest queer baiting con of modern television. Seriously. Oh my God. And I think it's hilarious. Anyway. <laughs> it's so funny, but also just like so bad. It's funny, but, but it's, anyway. it's like sad. And even the Destiel shippers were like, they, they knew that even ridiculous. at the mention of I love you, that that was it for this character. Right. Yeah. It's like the fact that he said, I love you. Then it just, uh, again, immediately super, super hell. hell. Like, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Let's move on to it. I think it's actually like I found a lot of parallels between how um, the writers handled it and how to deal with net, you know, the network crap for uh, a show that came out in the 90s, uh, Xena Warrior Princess, which aired on NBC in, you know, from like the late 90s into the early 2000s. And uh, Xena and Gabrielle were like the main ship and they actually had to go on. They do a lot of subtle things with it. A lot of, um, you know, under the radar type references. But if you watch compilations, like it, it's it's like supernatural, but they actually like they had to work around censors. Um, but here's one some of the ways that they did it. Like they managed to make them like overtly gay. There's parts where like long, long story short, Xena and Gabrielle die a lot in Xena Warrior Princess. It just happens, except it. it's like supernatural with like they just die all the time, but yeah. they come back. Yeah. They, it's OK. They get better. Um, so there's one point where Xena dies, I think the first time, and so like she comes back and like she has to come back. She possesses someone's body for a brief period of time and tells, you know, is able to tell Gabrielle like, hey, I'm okay, all that stuff. We just gotta, you know, find my body again. But she ends up kissing Gabrielle while in this person's body. Like they cut away, like Xena leans in and they sort of cut away and Bruce Campbell's character, as who she's possessing, kissing uh, Gabrielle. Interesting. Uh, they have like another thing where it's like they get like they have like a reincarnation episode where like. Uh, Zena was in like a guy's body and like Gabrielle was in a woman's body and like they got married hmm. and like you know that kind of thing they really they made it fr as freaking obvious as they could in the 90s you know that's weirdly kind of did you ever see Venom I've not seen Venom but you know that's weirdly kind of what they did with Venom is that they had Venom like possess the body of the female love interest and the and then he would like kiss Eddie Brock and it was very much like you're watching it and you're like very confused because you're like you had to see them be all on? domestic in the Venom 2 trailer I've seen that oh yeah uh, no the, the writers of it have completely lent in to that like I yeah. remember the trailer coming out they did they did a promotional trailer of still the first movie but they did it as like a rom-com between Eddie and Venom. They, I mean, they, like, know, they, know they now know doing. their target audience. They know. They what, now know their target. Yeah, audience. and their target audience is monster fuckers. They they know oh, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> who they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also just like telling you with the whole Xena Gabrielle situation with like having to go under the network censors of doing like a lot of body possession to make these kisses happen. Mm. Um, but like, I want to tell you how ridiculous some of the stuff was with Xena, with how they had to go around it. So there's like a shot in the opening credits where it's like the part was like you know. I've seen Xena a lot, so there's one part where it's like the power, the passion, and like you see Xena walking towards, um, you know, trying to be seductive towards um, this warlord guy who has this long ponytail. And one person, and like one person from the network said, "Hey, you can't have that in the 
in the opening credits because people might think that she's about to go kiss a woman and we can't have lesbians on the show. Okay. Yes, it is a shirtless guy with a ponytail that she's about to like, she's stepping up to, to like be seductive towards. And they kept it, they kept it, they still kept that. But literally that was how, that's what they were up against with this show. Mm -hmm. So go watch Xena, it's such a great show. Uh, it's it's campy as hell and it's also like super dramatic too and also like really really gay for the 90s like sorry i had i had to go mini xena review go watch it anyway i think we've exhausted queer baiting and queer coding at this point but words mean things people yeah words mean things and it's a good month as any to educate yourselves on the words i know there's a lot of them and uh i will say i will say this though about that specifically i mean I think I don't I'm not speaking for every queer person here. I don't expect this just took a hard left turn, but I don't expect um straight people or, or I'm sorry, cishet people or cishet allies to understand the terminology of our community. And I don't expect them to be experts in queer discourse cuz most queer people are not. And I don't need them to like have flashcards of every identity and every pronoun there are. As long as you just, like, fucking act like a decent person and respect people, no one's going to give a shit. Yeah. And if you there slip you up, just own it. I mean, we're not, no one's expect, I mean, I'm not going to say no one because there are people, unfortunately, but I don't expect people to be perfect about it. I still slip up. Everybody slips up, you know. It's it's just owning it, you know. But but this whole queer painting conversation is very much like, like, Exactly the discourse we got when Avatar came out, like, Aang is an emotional manipulator. Or, like, Aang is a gaslighter. That's a big one, you know? Oh, and you're just God. like, guys, come on. Like, stop it. Get some help. Please, just stop it. <laughs> yeah. But, all, yeah, all that to say, just be careful with the words. Because if we just, like, you know, start throwing them around flippantly, they're not going to mean anything. And we can't talk about this stuff, like, seriously. Um... But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, really quickly, I just want to go through really quick, uh, not only the LGBT people that are confirmed in the Avatar universe, but how each nation sort of accepts or doesn't accept uh, queer people. Um, so right off the bat, I mean, not confirmed, but trans icon Smeller B. Um, I mean, hey, it, it, it feels very obvious to me, um, but I would love some confirmation of the comics. I don't know if the comics confirms it. I'm going to say they know. don't. Um, but I mean, that was, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. It was like, it was a lot more than just like tomboy, right? It was very much, you know, women with masculine, masculine traits. Like it was very, mm -hmm. very that, um, Kaya was revealed, um, to be queer. Um, Kiyoshi and Rangi obviously were a, a, a very big relationship. Overt. Um, and we talk extensively about them in our Rise of Kiyoshi recap. We also, I think we dedicated an episode to them for Avatar After Hour. Um, so definitely go check that out if you want more of our thoughts on that. And so in uh, specifically the places, uh, each nation, how they react to queer people. Uh, in Turf Wars, the comic book, uh, Katara and Aang's daughter Kaya shares how each nation accepts or doesn't accept queer people. So the Fire Nation uh, has a long-standing history of tolerance towards same-sex couples, but those relationships were declared illegal under Fire Lord Sozin. So, I mean, I'm it's tolerance, so it, things weren't, like, great, but Sozin definitely didn't help. So, yeah, that's, I mean, go, fucking go figure. 
For the air nomads, same-sex relationships were completely accepted in air nomad culture, and because of this, air nomads had no need to come out about their sexual orientations, um, which, I mean, you know, tracks. The Water Tribe has a long history of acceptance regarding same-sex relationships, but more of a keeping your personal life to yourself sort of way. So, like, you know, like, coming out to your Christian family, that's great, just don't post anything on Instagram or the Facebook very much that well, that makes sense and considering the northern water tribe especially yeah so I, think, I mean because especially because like the southern water tribe is a bit more of the northern tribe's liberal cousin uh exactly yeah yeah the northern water tribe is is yeah like the christian conservative and then the, the southern water tribe is like their hippie deep cousin who like you know just wants people to have health care um but yeah and especially like because the northern water tribe had that stupid role about not training women to fight i mean it's not it's not I mean, considering considering how backwards that is, you think how like well they'd actually take same sex relationships like yeah. And then finally, the Earth Kingdom historically has been militaristically repressive towards people who engage in relationships with people of the same gender, even with Kiyoshi having relationships with both men and women. But I mean, here's the thing: the Earth Kingdom is so big. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like you know, like they're like active actively like repressing it through military means. I mean, it sounds like a lot of effort. Yeah, it's this is literally this is literally this is literally word for word from the Avatar Wiki. Thank you, Avatar Wiki. Um and like again, some of this was like from taken from what Kaya had said yeah. in Turf Wars and then we kind of mix that in with uh what Avatar Wiki says. And well it. I'd I'd love to know if if how each nation uh reacts to this has some influence on what these nations are based on in real life Eastern uh, history. I wonder if there's some mm-hmm. like overlap there, but yeah, that's, I think that's interesting really quickly. Just a small point that I want to talk about, about how there's with Korosami specifically, there's a lot of, and Kiyoshi too, a lot of like bisexual erasure and someone who is of the bi experience and has experienced bisexual erasure for, you know, the whole time I've been out essentially. Um, again, just don't do it. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, even if Korra and Asami don't ever say the word bisexual, you know, they both have dated men in the past and now they're dating each other. Fair to assume bisexuality is, is sort of part of that, um, you know, and especially because like there was this really good TikTok where we're talking about how like bisexuality erasure is like sort of putting men at the middle of it. Like, you know, when it when a man comes out as bisexual, they just say they're gay and they're hesitant woman comes out as bisexual you haven't had a man to satisfy you in the right way it's all pivoting toward the patriarchy which you know go figure um but yeah that's and that's ultimately why stuff like bi erasure is harmful so just a little quick bsa pride month special for that but yeah i want to make sure that you were you're able to say that because i'm because i'm not bisexual myself Mm -hmm. so i want to make sure that you know you're able to speak on that awesome well thank you do you want to talk about how kurosami has influenced representation in animation absolutely so i've alluded to this a few times um or maybe just said it a few times but kurosami again happened in 2014 um and it's definitely paved the way for a lot of other queer representation in children's media so by the way these spoilers are going to be ranging from minor to major for shows like steven universe kipo and the age of the wonder beast she run the princesses of power and adventure time if you're in the middle of watching these shows maybe just skip ahead for the next like 30 seconds or so i'll try to keep this brief as possible in 2018, after having plenty of queer-coded characters, Sapphire and Ruby, um, two characters from Steven Universe, had uh, they were, I mean, they were being super pretty overt for their relationship as well. 
Steven Universe had the first same-sex wedding on children's TV, I believe, in children's animation. In 2018, uh, Marceline and Princess Bubblegum, or Bubbleine as their ship name is called, was confirmed, and they kissed on screen after their relationship was hinted at for years in the series finale, Come Along With Me. They also got their own episode in the spinoff series, Distant Lands, where they got to be a lot more overt about their relationship, and since, because it's on HBO Max, I mean, I think now with streaming services, I mean, it's definitely allowed a little bit more flexibility with queer relationships because the next couple of shows I'm going to talk about are streaming service only. Um, so in 2020 on the Netflix series, Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beast, the character Benson straight up says the words, I'm gay. Like that was, you know, I mean, even the thing that's pretty revolutionary too. Um, and I believe it's even towards the beginning of the show too. A lot of these relationships kind of were geared towards the end of the series run. So that's pretty impressive. Um, and then from 2018 to 2020, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power had a lot of queer-coded characters. Spinnerella and Atasa were a couple as well. They were kind of side characters, but I'm still counting them. And actually, one of them is voiced by the show's creator, Noelle Stevenson, who is a non-binary person. And uh, they use just about any pronouns. And they're also, you know, they also have a lovely partner and everything. There's plenty of other queer-coded characters. Bo, one of the main characters, has two dads. And finally, Catradora became canon in the last episodes after a five-season buildup. So, And also, I'd also like to add to this list, um, didn't um, Mitchell versus Machines also have something similar? That's right. Yeah. Yes. Spoilers, spoilers is... for Mitchell versus Machines came out on Netflix. It's... Um, yes. Katie Mitchell, one of the main characters. Actually, I think she is... Yeah, she is one of the main characters. Um, she has a pride pin on throughout the movie. She has a rainbow pin on. She alludes several times to like feeling like she doesn't fit in. And then finally, at the end of the, you know, at the end of the movie, her mom asks her, like, so are you and two, you and Jade together yet? Are you guys to come for the home for Thanksgiving? Like, what are you bringing her home for Thanksgiving? And I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, like just so excited about that because especially what made what made that so important is that she has a pride pin on the entire movie. Yeah. It's not just like something that could be easily cut from like, mm -hmm. you know, being sent over to Russia or other countries where they banned gay depictions on any kind of media. Right. Like they, if they wanted to get rid of like her pride pin, they would have to go back and edit out every single frame of the movie. And it's something as small as that. But when people, when queer people, we learn how to recognize our own, mm -hmm. whether, you know, whether they're, you know, just finding signals in media, you know. And this is one of them. And it's made with the best of intentions. And I think that it means so much more than any of Disney's seven first openly gay characters that we've had in the last five years. Yes. And to <laughs> emphasize the importance of this, I mean, it's a big deal that we're getting this in a lot of children's media um, because it's an, I think it's an extremely important to begin those conversations very young. Because it becomes a thing that is just another, it's just another thing that they learn about the world versus something that is kept away from them and stigmatized. And they, and some people grow up that way and never learn to accept it as, as either a part of themselves or a part of society. But I was literally working at the daycare that I work at and uh, I came in and they were watching Mitchell versus the machines at a Christian daycare and I'm not sure if the person who put on the movie clocked it, but the kids that were there, some of them had already watched it and they were telling me how much they love this movie. And I was just like, and, and to them, it's just not kids just don't. And at some respects just don't care. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Like, it's just hate like, is, oh, okay. Hatred is taught. This shit is taught. It, exactly. It is taught. It's absolutely taught. And the best way to undo that is to just depict it in a way that is normal because it is normal. It's just a part of life. You know, there are literally like studies about how queer representation in TV shows leads to acceptance. So, for instance, like I, I literally have I've written papers about this. So I, this is something I really, really do care about because it is essentially I didn't know lesbians existed until I watched Glee. And I hate that I said that sentence, but it's true. Yeah, I got my education from Glee, guys. <laughs> anyway, like there's studies about um, Will and Grace. If y'all remember that show that Love Will and Grace. had a reboot. Yeah. Yes. I'm talking more referring to like the listeners who are probably who might have heard of Will and Grace. I don't know. I'm not trying to assume things, but anyway, Will and Grace. Um, these kind of studies show that like whether the character is gay or straight, we can find something to relate to. It feels like they're like they the, the I don't know what's sure exactly, but the science is about how they like our friends. They like people that we know, even though they're fictional characters on TV. Mm-hmm. We still get to know them. So having Will and Grace, you know, be that kind of showing helping to humanize you know queer characters and also i'm sure there were shows before will and grace but that's just the most recent like big moment going on right there of helping to humanize it that's one of the major shows that did that and the reason it's major is that it depicted all different kinds of gay people which were not you usually just get the jack the flamboyant artist type but you know will is just a boring lawyer who is gay and that's life. <laughs> you know, it's it's that's what made Will and Grace so big. And and at, at, at a certain point, it just stopped making waves because it was just people were just like, yeah, this is a thing. You know, it's had a huge cultural impact, a huge cultural yeah. impact. And admittedly, so has Glee. And even as problematic as that show fucking is, especially with bisexuality, its impact is undeniable. I mean, every news station was talking about it up in arms about it. But for a lot of people, especially our age, you hear that a lot. Like, that was the first show where people realized that was a thing. I remember being told that I couldn't watch Glee. I wanted to. My mom would fast forward through all of the same-sex kissing that happened in that show. Yep. Like... Yeah, my parents did that with uh, Rent. We we loved Rent. But obviously, there's a lot of gay stuff happening there. So they would, you know, skip ahead or, or you know... Um, change the channel and then change it back so I didn't see it you know so as a kid that makes you wonder well, what's wrong with that is there something wrong with that if my parents say it's wrong then it must be wrong it teaches your kids to be ashamed of it because I was ashamed of it I remember I was laying in bed one night after watching the season two Valentine's Day episode and like you know Santana and Brittany had become more public with their relationship I remember laying in bed that night not able to sleep thinking like am I like Santana and Brittany mm-hmm. and you know, as much as I am embarrassed about the Glee thing, I am still glad that it existed in the way that, it, you know, it helped pave the way for other representation, yeah. you know, it's, for better it's definitely, representation. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a product of its time, but at the same time, it's not. You know, it, it did mm-hmm. move the needle in many respects, even though a lot of it didn't age well. It's still undeniable the effects it had on modern television. And I've I think I've said it on the show the, before, but... If I, as a younger, like, teenager, saw myself reflected in representation in terms of, like, a bisexual man, Mm. I probably would have realized that part of myself a lot sooner and maybe did not suppress it as much, you know? Yeah, I think 
I think just about any queer kid can relate to say that statement right there. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. And also there should be more representation of, you know, sexually fluid, bisexual, pansexual men. That too. Yeah, it's a, we're starving for something like that. Um, and, yeah. and for positive experience, positive representation of that too. But then you get the people that are like, if you need like a TV show to validate you, maybe the problem is you. And I'm like, well, this is the people that don't realize just how much of an impact media has on our society. It has a very big fucking impact on our society. It's not just for people to learn about that part of themselves. It's for society to learn that this is a thing that happens in life. This is how it goes. Point blank period. If you want a non-gay example of how impactful media is on our lives, uh, people, bunnies don't really eat carrots naturally like they just don't yeah bugs bunny ate carrots and now everyone thinks that bunnies eat carrots yeah. and it's basically like sugar it's like it's like eating candy it's, for them. it's not great to give the yeah yeah that's the that's but a great like... example and then i've had people tell me well what did what did people do before tv shows i'm like oh i don't know we had books we had operas newspapers we had plays yeah we had newspapers we had there it's always been a thing the war of the world situation the world of the world situation with the radio broadcast do you remember like when people panicked over like you know, have you not heard of that story? No. Someone was reading the book World War of the Worlds about an alien invasion, and people were tuning into this and then thinking that it was an actual alien invasion. Oh. And I'm not sure how big the panic was, but if you want to talk about how impactful media is, even before television, there you go. Wow, I didn't yeah, I never knew about that. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. There you go. Representation matters. Media is incredibly impactful and important. Um Eat your vegetables, I guess. <laughs> there's there's three messages for the for the episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that basically wraps up our discussion on Korosami. I'd love to to have our listeners of the the queer persuasion, um, send us your thoughts about. I mean, if you were there for Korosami, what were your feelings? Did you have experience like me where you maybe were uneducated and were like, eh, they're just friends. Or we were like Kayla, where you watched just for Korosami. Um and clung on. Yeah, and clung on to it. Yeah, definitely let us know. We're interested in knowing. I'm absolutely fascinated. Yeah. All right. Pivoting over to fandom corner where we move away from you know heavier subjects and onto just a joke. It's an Azu it's a picture of Azula with, you know, the long ass talons that she's got in season two. And then I think from season three where her nails are shorter. <laughs> so if you can't figure it out, the joke is lesbian when pride starts. May 31st, she's got the long nails. June 1st, she's got the short nails. So- it took me a second. I'm not gonna lie, it took me a second. And I was like, why did she uh, send me that? I've seen that lesbian joke. I've seen that lesbian joke so many times, and it's funny every time I see it. Yeah. So you, there you go. You guys got a lesbian joke that was Avatar flavored. You're welcome. <laughs> Avatar flavored, love that. <laughs> um, so right. really quickly, uh, recommendations for this week, Kayla. I mean, go ahead with yours. Mine was mine was basically an episode, something that I already recommended in the. I mean, I, it's something I actually I didn't say I recommended it, but something that I mentioned during this episode was Shira. Mm. If y'all like Shira. Avatar and all that stuff, and clearly you do because you have been listening to us for this long. Uh, go watch Shira. It's on Netflix. It's in the same vein as Avatar, with like really good storytelling, world building. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's you know, it's just it's just a wonderful show and very very queer. They straight up all like the princesses at the end of the first season all straight up and straight, like make it line up and make a rainbow at the end. It's that gay, okay <laughs> and. Like it's just a very gay children's show, and it's wonderful. So, that's my recommendation. Go check it out. Five seasons on Netflix. You can do it. Love that. You tell me about it. I need more friends who like Shira. <laughs> so, my weekly recommendation. 
um, is this book that I found in Barnes and Noble. It's called The Queen's English, and it it was written in 2020, and it is more or less a comprehensive dictionary of lingo and colloquial phrases of the LGBTQIA plus community. I am so it's fascinated. Got, it's got anything from identities to slang, again colloquialisms, and I thought just for fun that we we'd read one randomly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna flip through the pages and Kaylee, you tell me when to stop, okay? All right, flipping. And stop. All right. Tell me when to stop. I stop. Boston marriage. I've heard of this. A dated term for a relationship in which two unmarried women live together long term without the company of a man. Yep, I've heard of that term before. Yeah, I did not know that. There's so many things. I essentially did this cover to cover, and I learned so many things. It's only 20 bucks at Barnes & Noble. I'm sure it's on Amazon as well. Again, um, nice. Queen, the Queen's English. And not only does it have a dictionary, it's, it's a dictionary, but it's also got little uh, pages talking about things like the ballroom scene and ball culture. Oh. And so it touches on queer history as well. Um, so That's so cool. It's very comprehensive. Um, and it was written by Chloe O. Davis. Um, and again, written in 2020. So it's as... It's as um, you know, recent as we can get. Uh, it's got so many things like the history of the word queer, you know, the work of black and brown queer people that shaped our our community. So again, the Queen's English, Chloe O'Davis, definitely go and check it out. Absolutely. Thank you. And before we go, we do want to remind y'all again that we do offer exclusive benefits over on our Patreon, including some behind-the-scenes stuff like our episode scripts and a look into our Zoom meetings. You get to see my Shira crazy face. It's, I think I think it's worth the you know a couple bucks you got to cough up for it. And you get to have access to early release episodes and bonus content like our flagship benefit, Avatar After Hour. Our most recent episode was us basically casting Avatar horribly, and I hope you all enjoy it. If you haven't seen it yet, if you haven't subscribed yet, go do that. But we have tiers as little as $1 a month, and our highest tier is only $5. So go ahead and check us out on patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast. Yes, and if you'd like to get in touch with us to send in feedback or send in your own submissions for Phantom Corner, you can email us at the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com as well as our social media channels on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. Um, before we get on out of here, it, because it is Pride Month, we do want to plug several LGBTQ organizations where you can help and donate to their cause or just share their pages, peruse them, maybe learn a couple of things and um, hopefully educate yourself. So one, we probably heard about this one a lot. The Trevor Project is a LGBTQ youth crisis hotline which provides crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to save young lives. If you have the time and if you feel like you have the the mental bandwidth for it, they're always looking for volunteers for their call centers. Um, and from the people I know who have worked there, it is a wonderful environment. And it, because it is volunteer, they're very understanding about, you know, time constraints and that sort of thing. But if that's something you're interested in, then go, go to their website and, and see – uh, if they have any op- op- open positions for a volunteer position, I'm sure they're also they're doing remote as well still because of the pandemic. Um, but yeah, check, definitely check that out. Of course, check out the Human Rights Campaign, which is an organization that aims to tackle issues that the queer community faces from day to day. 
Uh, that's just hrc.com and they've got a lot of resources and a lot of ways that you can donate and help out queer people this month thanks for sharing that um so i found the sylvia rivera law project for those of you who don't know who sylvia rivera is she is a badass trans woman um who was involved with the early gay liberation movement if y'all don't know haven't watched her y'all better quiet down speech i highly recommend that you do um she gives a powerful speech about the trans exclusion from the gay liberation movement. If you don't know, it's what she says that I have lost, I've had my nose broken. I've lost my job for gay liberation. I've lost my apartment for gay liberation. You know, that, it's a really powerful speech. I'm not doing it justice right now. I recommend looking up uh, Sylvia Rivera. Y'all better quiet down. But the Sylvia Rivera Law Project is a New York City based organization that provides legal aid to trans people, especially trans people of color. So make sure if you, would like something to give your money to that's one of the um, many many causes out there um there's also the lgbtq freedom fund um it definitely gained some popularity during the black lives matter protest that happened in june of last year and basically it pays it pays bail for lgbtq plus people in u.s immigration facilities and jails um you know trans people are more likely to be sexually assaulted in jail you know things like that so it helps to prevent those horrible things from happening within our already horrible criminal justice system. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. They, they're also a great cause to give your money to. Yeah. So we will link all of these organizations in our description so you can easily find it to go and check it out. Um, and yeah, that's season two of the avatar hour podcast. We did it. We, we definitely front loaded season two a little bit more than season one. Um, season one, we did 17 episodes. This one, whatever, what 27 episodes i, I yeah something almost like 30 that. episodes we got going on here yeah so but i mean you know we're, we're never we've grown we've, gro- we've grown a lot with the last like in the first season we kind of figured out more of like you know our audience we're so grateful that you know y'all have liked us this much and you know we're excited to come back again for sure it's gonna be we're, we're just gonna come be it's gonna get better and better yeah and and I'm always blown away by the fact that we have not even hit the one year mark and we have regular listeners who get into contact with us almost every week to let us know about how they felt about the episode. And it just really means the absolute world to me and Kayla um, that we can, we can provide something that hopefully takes your mind off things from still the crazy world that we're living in today. And we hope that we helped you on this, the back half of the pandemic as well. Um, so, but with that being said, we will be taking a hiatus for the next month or so. Um, in the meantime, please consider following us on your favorite podcast platform and maybe even leave us a review so more people can find the show and join our little avatar hour family. Um, definitely stay tuned on our social media channels. Um, just because we're going on hiatus does not mean we're going dark. Uh, me and Kayla are going to be figuring out new and exciting ways to make avatar hour a much more engaging podcast and a better podcast. Um, so stay tuned on our social medias. We might be doing some live stream hangouts. Um, we might also be sending out a Google form to ask our listeners on their input and feedback on our, on our podcast and how we can possibly improve it. And yeah, we're just, we're going to be finding out how to make season three of the hour to hour podcast, the best one so far, but yeah, we will, we will be announcing fairly soon when we will be returning for season three. We still got some scheduling things to work out, but yeah, thank you guys so much for making this Absolutely. An awesome Thank you season all. of Avatar Hour. Seriously. All right. We're really just so grateful to all of you. Of course. And with that, happy Pride Month. My name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.